Greetings and welcome to another episode of Dungeons and Decisions. This uh, will be a special DMs edition episode with uh, myself, Mark Russell, and this guy. Alan Barris and the cream has risen. The chaff has been stripped away from the wheat and is now just the DMs. Just to clarify, this is this is not uh, necessarily an exclusion of the other guys. It's just the fact that we are the only ones who are likely to buy uh, a copy of Tasha's Cauldron of Everything uh, and think about it obsessively, whereas the other guys, eh, you know, they're not going to do that. They'll be happy to kill things with it, but that's about it. Yes. So, uh, as the uh, two dungeon masters in the group, Al and I, are always looking for ways to enhance our campaigns. And uh, this book offers uh, numerous ways to do so, including lots of uh, new ways to customize your character's background, add new classes, new spells, feats, magic items. Uh, there's some uh, special advice rules for DMs and just a lot of great stuff in the book. Uh, so if the simple question is, should I buy this book? Then I think the simple the answer is, Yes, you should. Um, there's enough content in this book to make it worth it. Now, uh, before the caveat to that is a lot of this stuff has been reprinted or printed prior uh, in other books. So you'll see stuff from the, um, the Sword Coast Adventures Guide, for example. Um, you know, there's the Artificer who was first published in the Eberron uh, book. Uh, so there's there is a, a fair amount of stuff. I think the the is it the the Theros book. Some of it's from there. Yeah, yeah. I don't yeah. I don't know what I haven't had a chance to read through it yet. So. Yeah, I think the other one too, though the Critical Role campaign one, the Wildemont. I think. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So the so there is a a lot of stuff that was printed already, but this book you know collects all of that for you. There's you know lots of stuff that was tested out on, on Earth Arcana. So um, if, if those of you, those of you who, who either have those other books or have been kind of following, you know, D&D online, you might be familiar with some of these rules already. Um, uh, but uh, we're not really going to focus too much today on the nitty gritty of those items, but rather do kind of a, a sweeping overview of some of the general themes of the book, some of the inclusions that we think are really important and useful. And, uh, and then we're also going to go over some of our, our favorites from those various categories that we've mentioned before, like our favorite uh, new spells and uh, favorite subclasses and so forth. So, um, Al, did you want to say anything before we get rolling? Well, the uh, two big themes that we uh, picked out in uh, Tasha's are customization and modernization. So the customization stuff is what we're going to focus on mostly today, but I'm going to say a couple of things about the modernization too, which I think are pretty long overdue actually for D&D. Yeah, so uh, let's start first, since it is the first chapter of the book, uh, with the customizing uh, section. Yep. And so what we see uh, in general um, is more opportunities uh, for players to have a greater role in defining their characters, not just through, um, uh, you know, the cosmetic things, but through actual game mechanics. Um, so uh, there are a lot of uh, things in here that allow you to swap out various features, various bonuses, 
um, in order to get the the exact kind of character that you would like to start with. Yep. Um, and uh, as Al was saying, this is a major theme of the book uh, in its entirety. We, we, again and again, we see customization, we see flexibility, we see essentially, I think, wizards responding to the fact that uh, people want to play the way they want to play. Yeah. I think, Al, one of the things that we wanted to talk about here was how um, how these rules actually kind of apply to uh, our own um, our own example campaign and some of the things that we thought would work well for some of the characters that we've introduced in previous episodes. Yeah, so uh, one of the first things I did actually was uh, I immediately went into Fantasy Grounds as soon as I got my book and ordered the uh, Fantasy Grounds uh, uh, digital material for uh, for Fantasy Grounds was uh, immediately open up Shark, uh, Sharkashic, my, uh, my lizard man, and uh, then immediately swap his constitution over to his strength, because I am a filthy min-maxer, and I decided <laughs> that I liked the idea of hitting more than surviving. Now, that said, uh, his con's still pretty good. I put the 15 in, I left the 15 in con, uh, but I moved the 14 over to strength and then put the plus two on that. So already I am using the ability to shift around the stats for your race. Uh, with the assumption, which I actually think is quite reasonable and quite good, even though it will lead to more filthy min-maxing on all of our parts, um, is uh, the idea that your player is a weird person they don't fit necessarily the cultural mold of your race. Now, if you want to play a, a standard dwarf, you are certainly allowed to do that. There's nothing saying you can't. And there's still plenty of races, plenty of classes where that standard dwarf is still going to be a total monster. It's just sometimes you're going to want to move your constitution score over to your strength so you can hit a little bit more often uh especially again if you're the kind of player who likes to keep a kill count like i have to admit i am so uh that was the first uh that was the first change i made and then the second one was uh to start thinking about uh some of the uh player uh, some of the characters in our main campaign and immediately i was just oh Mike, we, we need to have a conversation because the ultimate warrior is going to truly be the ultimate warrior when we are done at 12th level. Because at that point, he is going to use his feet that he's going to get to pick up the fighting initiate uh, feet and then to pick up the unarmed fighting style. And the world will be so much better as a result. Yeah, I think I think of all the classes that the fighters and uh, any class that really has a, a fighting style kind of benefited quite a bit yeah. uh, from this. Uh, there's there's a, a great number of cooler things now available to fighters and all those new feats too. too. But um, so one of the things that, that I, you know, thought of, and, and I admit this was actually prior to this game came out when I was looking through the Eberron rulebook is the idea of kind of switching uh, my wizard character, uh, Vic the Vulture, to uh, to an artificer. 
So um, I think that is actually going to happen. I oh, just yeah. uh, haven't actually done the mechanics yet, but uh, I I I feel like that that class kind of fits the flavor of the character a little bit better. Um, and uh, it was cool to see the new subclass for that too, the armorer, which is uh, which is really really awesome. And uh, maybe maybe this would be a good kind of transition to talk about the artificer. So the artificer is the you know the uh, the one kind of new uh, complete class yep. in this book, and it was you know like I said introduced in the Eberron book earlier, um, with the addition of this new subclass. Uh, but uh, it has uh, has a lot of cool stuff going for it. I oh, I think it's it's incredibly versatile. Uh, as far as like a support class goes, it really I mean you can do you can cast spells, including, you know, things that, uh, you know, are on the cleric list. So you can kind of serve uh, as, as that you can, you can, you can be this kind of tool and skill person too. You, uh, a lot of the subclasses give you the extra attack ability and either really awesome offensive or defensive abilities. So you can yep. be the frontline fighter or the kind of the ranged attack fighter. Um, it's, it's, yeah, it really does offer uh, a, a lot of versatility. Maybe God, there's a pet. I mean, uh, as an yeah, yeah. that's available. So, right, right. I you mean, can get the homunculus. Um, so it's steel it's, defender. Yeah, the steel defender. Stuff. So it, it, and it, and you can make magic items. I mean, if, if you're in a campaign where you have, you know, uh, where you're playing more than one character, right. And you're looking for a secondary character. Well, here you go. Here's the guy who it is, it is. You know, while you're not playing him, he's off making magic items. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. So, and um, but the best thing about it, I think, is actually like the flavor. It's it's the the uh, all of the the cool uh, kind of uh, gadget creating, you know, archetypes. The you know, obviously, like you know, in the James Bond movies, Q. But, you know, I was thinking also of all of the, the Marvel and DC, you know, these comic book uh, heroes and villains that are essentially, like, just really good inventors. Yeah. And, uh, you know, have, like, the armored suits or the, you know, the themed uh, gadgets. Like, you could you could totally make your artificer, uh, uh, you know, like a themed, you know, all, like, all of their gadgets have a particular theme. Yeah. Um, uh, this is uh, how we would uh, uh, recreate uh, one of the forgotten members of our original uh, custom class group, and that was the Batman, uh, who was <laughs> created by Chad. He only played a couple times with us. I don't remember what the, what the content totally was at that, about that But, um, but the Batman would be perfect as it Yeah, you could very easily be Batman. Because he was all gadgets and, and built stuff. So you could be Doctor Doom. Oh know, yeah, easy. Iron Man. Uh the Beatle. <laughs> Everyone loves the Beatle. <laughs> old Abner Jenkins. <laughs> uh but uh yeah, so the, yeah, so I, I think it uh just for that, just for that kind of flavor and the, these opportunities constant opportunities for role playing in the class where you know you kind of really get to to pick how uh how your character does all these magical effects with you know various tools and creations and stuff like that and to have the um you know like the the 
and the subclasses be the have the walking cannon or the the awesome suit of armor or this you know robot that follows you around um it's uh it's just got a lot of great possibilities yeah i'm eagerly awaiting having one in my game at some point yeah i don't I'm, know if I, I don't know if i've quite got the rhythm of it to play it yet but i i definitely want one in my game i want to see how they i want to see how they work Oh, I forgot the other class that it mixes in. It mixes in the warlock too, with all the the like the various invocations, right? It has oh, yeah, that yeah. aspect. Is, is, it's just it's crazy how how it is this this amalgamation of, of other classes. Um, okay, so artificer is great. Uh, love it. So um, one of the other things that's done in this book is they introduce uh, you know these optional. Uh, class features that are either like enhancements to, to existing class features or their swaps, um, but various ways to, uh, you know, they've expanded the spell lists of a lot of, of classes. Yep. Um, so one of the things that they've done is they've tried to use this as an opportunity to fix the ranger. Uh, yes. Um, if you've watched any of our other episodes, you know that this is a, a common lament about the poor broken ranger. Um, and uh, they try to basically go back and, and correct those mistakes by offering these various swaps and, and ways to modify the ranger. And uh, it kind of works and kind of doesn't. <laughs> well, okay, I'm gonna be the more positive. For once, I'm going to be the more positive member of our podcast and talking about the changes because I was looking through today in particular and the big thing that got me, it's the uh, primal companion thing that we're really, uh, the, the swap that uh, is going in. And uh, the, for those of you playing along at home who don't know what the controversy about the ranger is, uh, there's two problems with the ranger class. The first is that the ranger class is remarkably setting specific uh, to a, as in the actual environment you're playing in that session, not even like the campaign world, the place you are adventuring. If you're adventuring in the wrong terrain, your ranger is worse than useless. Uh, you suddenly don't really get to do much of anything. Whereas if you are adventuring in your chosen terrain, you're kind of awesome. As long as yeah. the DM is working in the mechanics of travel and the possibility of you getting sneak attacked on the way or, or stuff like that, which unfortunately a lot of DMs don't do. So the ranger is kind of cool if you've got the right kind of DM and you're in the right kind of of a right kind of campaign and the right kind of uh adventure yeah and but if the two of you are communicating right if yeah, you and yeah, the dm yeah. are communicating it's, it's good it's it's you know you're you're getting a, a sense of of what you should be building your ranger for and the dm is getting a sense of, of things that they can do to accommodate you and make your your ranger special and stand out however if that communication isn't taking place ranger is not going to get to do anything in so game. in tasha's they've offered these swaps to try to correct this and i i mean i think in some senses that they they do achieve that right they they give you kind of more flexible versatile options for the ranger it's just not a complete fix right now uh the in in the in the defense so 
what they have done, what, uh, which I think is good, it is an improvement, and I will be playing this as Shark if we actually advance that campaign long enough to get to third level. Um, uh, it's the Primal Companion Swap. And the way that this works is the originally for the Beastmaster, you would have a flesh and blood beast that was your pal, and uh, the problem was that your pal could do nothing except dodge, I believe. Yeah, dodge. And, yeah, like, it. move, I think, on their own. That was it. So, on, so your, you had to give up something for your creature to attack. Now, in the player's handbook, this was really bad. Because what you needed to give up was an attack. Yeah. You needed to sacrifice your ability to hit something to give your companion the ability to do anything, more or less, other than move around. And, and it was you, miserable. And if you're uh, fifth or higher as a ranger, you're really essentially giving up two attacks, or maybe even three if you're doing, you know, two-weapon fighting. So it's... Yeah, it's, it was bad. Yeah. So the, the where they've gone with the Primal Companion, and I noticed this with a bunch of the other pet havers in this book in particular, the Wildfire Druid and the Steel Defender, at least, which is one of the features of the Artificer. And then there's there might be a few more in here that we can find. And this will also help us highlight the problem as well. Uh, with all of the pet classes when it comes right down to it. But um, what the, the, the new deal is you give up your bonus action. Yeah. And your bonus action is what allows your pet to fight. Now, for those of you playing along at home, again, you might think, oh, that's not so bad, right? Well, it's not so bad if you're one kind of ranger, because if you're the kind of ranger who uses ranged weapons, your bonus action is just sitting there pretty much totally unused most of the time. And you can go ahead and use it for your beast. And yay, you're great. But what about the dual weapon fighter? See, yeah. the problem is that your offhand weapon is your bonus action. So you just gave up an attack, again, for your creature. Now, at low level, this is bad. Uh, this is not a good trade for a low-level ranger. I maintain that once you hit about 7th level, if I remember right, this stops being so bad because yeah. your pet then can use the help action. And your pet can use the help action without you feeding it, a, uh, without you feeding it an action. At which right. point, suddenly, okay, now my pet's good. Yeah. Now it's helpful. But up until that point, you're... You're kind of, if, if you're a ranged ranger, you're great. There's no problem here. If you're a two-weapon fighter, don't be a beastmaster. Is what I mean, or down. if you're... I mean, there are numerous ranger spells that are cast on the bonus action as well. Yeah, 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 which could be another right? complication. Right, like, so uh, that... Was it is a hunter's mark that's a hunter's bonus action bonus too? Action. So that's that's yeah. a problem. Yeah. So the I, so obviously it's it's not a complete fix. I mean the so if any of you are familiar with the with the variant ranger that was introduced uh, through Unearthed Arcana, then you know that they in 
I never figured something out. Uh, keep talking. No, I just, figured so I just figured something out. I'm actually kind of pleased with myself that I understood a game design decision for a change. But keep talking. They, so they actually went in the other direction, right? That not only did they allow your that those that particular variance of the rules allow your your uh, companion to attack independently, but they even had special abilities where they could get extra attacks. Right. Um, like if you hit in combat and you know your companion is is within range to attack a, a, another creature, your your companion would eventually get this bonus attack. It, it's it's awesome. But it really kind of creates this this image of the two of you working in in concert, right? It's it's is it's Drizzt and Guinevere. Um, it's it's you know it really really matches I think the flavor of the class. Although I would also say if you're really looking for Drist and Guinevere, you're really looking at a sidekick, probably. Oh yeah, well point, Guinevere is, to, the game is actually on. a magic item and not yeah. an animal companion. Well, oh that's right. I forgot about that. It's not yeah. even yeah. Yeah, but but like the but that's like the two of them are like you know coordinated in their it's what a lot of people think of with yeah the, it's definitely what a lot of people think of right it's and, it's um and it's and that doesn't happen right that's i mean i, I mean i guess like al said there is the help action right and, uh, and the help action's great i mean it's the reason you keep a familiar around most of the time other than the spying on people right but it, the find familiar is a first level spell yeah 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 it's and it doesn't require you to give up anything feature, right yeah. it's not <laughs> But the wild, like I said, the wildfires uh, druids uh, companion is now tied to the same kind of mechanic, which I yeah. think was a change, um, because I had a wildfire druid in my uh, in my college game, and they uh, and I think that was something of a nerf, and like I said, it, it looks like the pet having classes all have this help action thing going on, right? But who doesn't? have this limitation anybody who summons something yeah so Which, wizards yeah. druids when you're actually say summoning something with a spell um you're great you get a you get a free action you get a huge meat shield to go pound on something for a while while you get to cast anything that doesn't require concentration yeah so and, and uh, they gotta figure out the pets i think that's the big issue and you see in this, in this, oddly enough, in this book, you do see an abundance of new summoning spells, right? It's yep. it's definitely, uh, yeah, that that uh, that option has become available in a, a much greater variety of of, uh, of creatures. Uh, Before we give up on the ranger, there is the one thing I just noticed: um, the change they made to favored foe. Uh, it doesn't require a bonus action now. That's or like, I, that's what I was having the aha moment for. I was like, why did they make that change? Why did why did they make it a separate thing rather than keep going with hunters, Mark? And I think that's why. But yeah, we'll see. Um, I'm still playing a Beastmaster Ranger. Dang it! And yeah, uh, I I'm gonna have a good time doing it. But I, I think I am gonna be slightly nerfing myself by doing it. But I feel like this is this is still like even. Even as as acknowledged, kind of broken, and it's really just the Beastmaster that we're talking about here. I mean, it's like the 
the other ranger subclasses are are pretty good. For the oh, they're part. great, actually. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the Gloomstalker, you know, is one of is, the best classes in the game. It's fantastic. It's but the but so many people have that iconic image of the ranger and their pet. You know, so many people uh, have that, and the ranger is such a, a popular class. It's it's. I remember years ago when I was playing in third edition and like I, I had this long running uh, Greyhawk campaign going and like you know people were joining the campaign every you know people were leaving and joining it and, like every new person that joined wanted to play a ranger yeah <laughs> like, uh, back in can't, can't support but, any more rangers <laughs> to uh to continue on my love-hate relationship with fourth edition um the ranger in fourth edition was great too uh yeah. they were all about dealing damage for the most part, they they became uh, pretty much the archer or wolverine run up and hit it with your right. weapons multiple times uh, the class. Sniper. Yeah. But it was fun. I yeah. mean, that's exactly, I mean, it really fit. And I think they, they didn't like that combat focus for the ranger, which I'm like, okay, a utility fighter is perfectly fine, but let's increase the utility a yeah. little bit when it, when it comes right down to it. And I do like some of the swap outs. I do like some of the, uh, the alternates, um, the, uh, the 10th level, uh, swap out, uh, pretty much instead of being able to hide in sight, it was pretty, it's pretty much, you become invisible for a round, which is okay. That's great. Yeah, that's that a, that's great. a good swap. It's nice and easy to remember. It's nice and easy to handle mechanically. It's much better than trying to go through the damn hide rules again, <laughs> uh, which are just, uh, I, I hate hiding. Uh, it never makes sense in a role-playing game. In a video game, it ne doesn't make any sense either, but at least everyone kind of buys into the idea that you can crouch behind someone and suddenly turn invisible or something like that, whereas... yeah. Role-playing game, it just feels weird. It's never quite worked. <laughs> okay, so um, so Al, let's let's move over from the customizing theme because I, I feel like we've we've covered that pretty thoroughly and talk about how the game has kind of been modernized with this uh, with this rule book. And I think uh, right away, I mean, the kind of easy immediate thing that you can point to is the addition of uh of session zero in this book yes yes which i'm uh, hugely in favor of me too um, i've only really done one like i did a session zero at one point for uh i i was i was using uh wrath and glory one of the um, more recent warhammer 40k role-playing games and we had to do a session zero with that because none of my players were familiar with it and and very few of my players were familiar with warhammer 40k so i had to talk people through so here's what you are you're a, a nun who shoots people all right there you're a space nun you're you're ready to go um that sort of thing and uh it works really well there and it's i think it's the first time i've really done like an official session zero kind of setup where i was trying to get everybody to to kind of think about how they were going to work within a party and what they needed to know and that sort of thing um i like the fact that uh a they're adding session zero officially to dnd which has been uh unofficial dm advice for a long time uh, I think session zero really caught on in fifth edition 
as an idea. I don't remember who coined it. I don't remember which, which where the term originated, but it is yeah. really picked up with modern DMs. And uh, now players, if you say session zero to them, they will know what you're talking about, which is, yeah. I mean, it, it's caught on as a, as a practice. And it's a lot better than having your players meet up in a bar. I mean, when it comes <laughs> right down to it, you, you have more control over the direction of the campaign. And you can also sort of set those expectations right from the beginning, too. It's also a good time to talk about people's limits, which is the whole, uh, which is the next part of the book that comes in. And uh, that is when uh, it's talking about, uh, how do they put it? It's the social contract is what yeah. they call it. And uh, the discussion of hard limits, what, what really are you not comfortable with in a game? And then what are you totally in favor of in the game? Like what kind of stuff are we really looking for? Like if you like, uh, if you're a heavy fighting guy, like I am, I love I love tactical fighting in D&D. I really enjoy it. It's what I uh, what I do. And uh, I'm not good at it, but I love it. So, uh, I want to get in I want to get into the mix as soon as possible. Now, that said, a little bit of role playing's all right. I'm not going to wrinkle my nose at the idea of, of a role-playing session but I really want to get my hands nice and bloody in a game so if somebody is doing like a we're gonna fight like maybe every other or ev or like maybe we're gonna fight the big bad at the end of the season kind of thinking right um I'm gonna have to really adjust my expectations for that game and uh, or if somebody else is making a really stealthy character and it's going to be a stand-up fighting game um your stealthy guy might not get much to do ultimately so again it's adjusting the expectations of what you want to play the kind of game you want to play and also the kind of character you want to play with the bigger game it's also a good way of handling evil characters or handling characters who have weird antisocial things going on. It's a good way, specifically like the player who uh, is playing a character who uh, maybe has a dark secret that's going to derail things later on. Yeah. Like uh, the Black Rose, for example, in <laughs> our main campaign. Uh that sort of that sort of player i and character combination we want to be we want to know that's coming to a certain extent at least the dm needs to know so the groundwork can be laid for that so we don't kill the game yeah i i love the kind of the 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 camaraderie and the kind of all the already like thinking about how you're going to work together as a group yeah you know, where that that comes in a in a session zero um, as everyone's kind of creating their characters together. Um, I and house rules, I think, is another kind of important yeah. thing to establish. Which you know, I actually had a a session zero for the campaign that that Al is currently playing in my campaign, and and it was uh, great. It was a very good idea. Yeah, yeah, it was it was good. We, I mean, but even then, they're like there are things that I forgot and didn't get to right and. And house rules was one of them. I was kind of regretting that later, <coughs> but we eventually worked it out. But we did a lot of other cool things in that session zero. Um, uh, certainly, like the you know, kind of thinking about our characters collectively was good, but also 
you know, gave me the opportunity to give everyone, you know, special features for their character and, and background uh, stuff and, and uh, really um, kind of promote the character and the flavor of the campaign. And I like the idea five times so far in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> and I like the idea of the ambiance. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I like the idea of a D and D campaign that's also focused on a specific type of group too, which is something that we didn't really see in previous editions. It was always you're an adventuring group. You're yeah together to go kill stuff and get power. Um, the idea that you might be working for a particular patron is also introduced in this. Uh, and, and the patrons are actually kind of well thought out. They're, they're very nice. And the kind of missions you might go on for a particular patron is worked into that. And I just like that whole, here's the theme of the campaign. And it's a nice way of, uh, of creating a flavor for your group that's fairly unique. Yeah, the, the patron uh, chapter is, is great. It's uh, a fantastic uh, tool for DMs. It really uh, gives you these, uh, these kind of inspiring kind of an adventure hooks and, and easy ways to kind of guide uh, a campaign from start to finish. Yep. You know, if you introduce a, a patron kind of early in your campaign, then you have this nice progression of of the uh, the players working with this entity, you know, throughout and kind of building various kind of plot levels and and uh, and kind of learning more about their patron and and uh, yeah, it's 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 wonderful, wonderful material. Um, uh, in fact, I think I'm going to adopt it in the Waterdeep campaign. Nice. I've already got a patron in mind. So, um, but. Yeah, and like there's also so there's some other uh, good DM stuff in there too. Uh, I I particularly like the the stuff about running natural disasters. Oh yeah, yeah. And and using kind of various spells, uh, you know, to 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 duplicate natural disasters. Other that stuff was good. Um, there's uh, all of those the the puzzles, you know, these these various pre-made puzzles which you can just kind of drop into your into your dungeon or into your adventure. Um, and then there is the sidekick rules, ah, uh, yes. which we love. Um, we both use them uh, in, our, in our various campaigns. Um, uh, basically, so what the sidekick does is it allows you to create this, this sidekick uh, for your character. And, and the, there's a lot of flexibility there. It can be a player character, it can be an NPC. Um, uh, it uh, it's it seems to me out uh, uh, that these these three classes are kind of very much kind of an origin. Do you remember the NPC classes from third oh, yes. edition? Uh, right? Quite well, I, right? I the, love the expert. I had, the expert, I had expert and the Help the warrior, God. the noble, the adept. Right, and it captures that same kind of. Uh, I'm not going to say the F word. Uh, captures that. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, that that's that same theme of these you know these these classes that are kind of separate from the main adventuring classes that kind of suit these 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 other uh, kind of uh, you know second tier characters. Yeah, which um, which are simpler, yeah. and that means they can either be played by the DM fairly easily. 
or they can be played by another player fairly easily. And that's the other thing I like uh, when we talk about the uh, modernization of the game. I think to a certain extent D&D is accepting certain things that have happened all along. And one of the things that has happened since the very beginning of D&D is the solo campaign. Yeah. I mean, I mean the, the initial games that Gygax ran were solo games I yeah. mean, when it came right down to it. And there's never really been a, an official way of dealing with that other than rolling up your own party and playing them individually, which you could do. I mean, if you really know the game, you can do that sort of thing. But it's a lot easier to have your main character who you can focus on, and then if you're going to play a party, make everybody else these more simplified characters. And they can still be useful, and they're still enough to uh, round out your group. Uh, they can still take damage. They can still mete out damage just as well as a player character can. They just don't have as many fancy options. Yeah, they're. I mean, they're effective, but not as complicated. Right. So they they fill this nice uh, this well a number of nice areas. You know, you can uh, you can have someone who's just starting to play the game, uh, someone who is you know not very experienced, kind of try out one of these classes and. Uh, and have a, a lot of success um, kind of doing kind of simpler tactical things with their character. You know, it's simpler. I mean, a lot of the class features are passive, right? They're, yeah. They give bonuses, uh, resistances, things like that. So it's... Um, and, uh, and, and also, you know, like for a young player, like in, in Al's Greyhawk campaign, uh, my young son Emmett, uh, entered as a sidekick uh, using a, I guess a, a a sidekick we're gonna have to grandfather in because he's yeah we're aware just that. we're just gonna use the unearthed arcana rules still we're not gonna yeah, yeah. we're not gonna so uh, yeah so th that's right we started using this when it was unearthed arcana uh, and not actually in a rule book so uh, but but my son Emmett was playing uh, a, a dragon that uh, you know he used the warrior. Uh, sidekick class four, and he was, you know, actually a sidekick to the to the ultimate warrior. Um, so he, so it was really, really easy because he, you know, he just had his kind of basic attacks and his breath weapon, and and uh, it was really, you know, he could really just focus on having fun and not being kind of confused about the things that he that he had to do. Yeah, and uh, now that he's getting used to it, well after we get him used to it again, once we're playing again, um, we can actually uh, start um, complicating him up a little bit by giving him magic items and stuff. Yeah, like and that. since then he's a actually... A little bit more options. He's, he's rolled up, you know, standard characters. Oh, and, good. And, and, and he's very, you know, much more comfortable with the game, but that was kind of... It was a very kind of painless initial entry with a, this kind of simple character. And, you know, it, it's not just for kids, right? If, if you have adults that you're bringing into your game, uh, you can do that for them as well. Uh, the other thing is, is that it, it gives you this this cool option, and you see, you know, you see actually in the graphics of the book, right? The the examples that they give of these oh, yeah, yeah. wild, right? Like the winged kobold, and the, like all these cool possibilities, you know, for your sidekick, and that's and that's really cool, right? Because as long as yeah. it's a was a, a, a CR half, yeah, right. Um, you can advance it through this. Through Used to be CR one. That's how we got away with that's the, how we got the wormling. wormling but. <laughs> yeah. but, and we're going to uh, keep the wormling. Dang it, we're not changing that. 
so you have this this whole realm of possibilities as 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 characters in these classes. So, yep. yeah, love seeing it in the book. Um, I love the you know the 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 graphics and the like the three examples of every class that they gave, and it was just really really well done and a yep. really really useful thing for us to have. So, kudos, wizards. Yes, and again, acknowledging how people have played the game in the past and acknowledging that role that those NPC classes had kind of had for us too. Uh, it's nice. And it allows us to add like the sidekick to a group without adding too much complication. Yeah. It gives us flexibility. Uh, okay. So Al, so now we kind of move to our, to our marquee segment here. Where we talk about the things that we both like the most. All right. Uh, so Al and I have not discussed this beforehand. Uh, so I. So have, we might have duplications. Well, I, I was just going to say I've come up with two answers for oh. every one, uh, just in case of that possibility. So I I might end up blurting out my second answers as well, just because I'm excited about them. I hope you will forgive me for picking more than one favorite. Um, I think we can overlook the rules just this one time. House rule. Good. Yeah, well, we're customizing the rules. Uh, so, Al, um, let's start with the category of favorite subclass. What All did you right. come up with? So I went with the Way of Mercy Monk. Okay. Uh, because not only does it have this weird combination of harming and healing, but then on top of that, they have this cool flavor thing that they added that the monk is masked. Yeah. Which I was like, that's really cool. I like the fact that they they uh, kind of worked that into the to the background of the class. And again, if it doesn't fit your campaign world or what your actual player would want to do, you can easily discard it. I mean, it's nothing that you need to have, but it's cool. Yeah, it is cool, and you can you can develop you know history and mythology uh, around the masks. You could introduce magic masks in your campaign for your monk to wear. I mean, Easy. that's that's yeah, that's great stuff. Yeah. Uh, so my pick, uh, was the Twilight Domain Cleric. Ah, okay. Uh, Al and I, we both love clerics, uh, and, uh, I, I, I love the 5e cleric. I can play clerics all day and all night long. Yeah. Um, the Twilight Domain, uh, basically fills an area that, that was very much missing, uh, in kind of cleric possibilities. I remember um, in the back in the early days wanting to play a cleric of Celestian, right, and being like, well, what's really appropriate here? Do I pick nature? Uh, do I pick knowledge? I, it does, none of this stuff really, really fits, right? Uh, right? Celestian is the kind of the god of the, the night sky and, and Greyhawk, right? The, yes. the stars in the sky. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, well revered by sailors and so forth, travelers. Uh, and he'd like uh, to come and see us, but he thinks he'll blow our minds. Anyway, <laughs> <did> <laughs> All right, well, Al is letting all the children boogie. Let's get back to the Twilight <laughs> Cleric. Um, so like I said, it, it fills this, this you know, stars, sky, uh, nighttime, moon realm right that i that was previously uncovered by any of the cleric 
uh, domains and also has this other side of kind of uh, the the watchman uh, the vigilant one right so like this guardian thing as well right so the so if you're playing for example in forgotten realms you could be you know uh, this would be a good fit if you're playing uh, a cleric of saloon or or char or helm like all these things would fit you know if you're doing Greyhawk, you know celestian of course Definitely. as i mentioned before would be a great choice um so the I think there's like three moon gods in Kryn. <laughs> uh, yeah. For each of the wizard moons, right? So you could you could you know like that. That's good for that. So um, I, I it feels a, a solid like kind of campaign campaign um, uh, need, uh, and uh, so that in itself is good. But also the class features are great, <laughs> um, and they're really versatile. You know. Eventually, down the line, you get the flying ability. Um, uh, you know, uh, I think it has to be dark, right? I think it has to be nighttime, or you have to be in the dark or whatever to use it. So it is a little niche, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. You get dark vision, and you can share it with your uh, your party. Oh, that's good. Give a bunch of people dark vision because you know how many times have you had a party where everyone actually has dark vision it just it's always that humey always that humey the dark yeah uh, and uh yeah so you can uh i think you can also give someone advantage on initiative there's there's just some really really cool versatile abilities uh and uh, a great spell list too moonlight is on there fairy fire oh nice so, yeah so really really good stuff uh and my backup on that was the soul sorcerer or the clockwork soul sorcerer. Yeah, yeah. Right, the 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 sorcerer gets their powers from the Modrons. Right, robots gave me magic. <laughs> <laughs> but it, Geometric but, robots gave me magic. Either. But it has this amazing ability where you can negate advantage or disadvantage. Oh, I didn't see that. Did you see that? Yeah, so like anyone within 60 feet who has advantage or disadvantage, you can negate it. Wow. It's like as your reaction, I think. Um, it's it's crazy. Uh, okay, but let's, yeah, so that's, that's a, that, that's a fun class. I think if I, yeah, my next sorcerer, you know, will definitely be the clockwork soul. Uh, <laughs> Okay, but let's move on to, uh, so uh, we were talking about the alternate class abilities. Uh, so Al, what was your favorite of those? Uh, I would have to say the monk's alternate ability uh, to create a dedicated weapon. Okay. Yeah, now, that's not a swap out. That's a new addition to the right. monk class. And that replaces something that I thought, I knew they were going to nerf it from uh, Unearthed Arcana. Uh, one of the uh, alternate features that they gave the monk was the ability to set your own monk weapons. Yeah. The condition was you had to pick five, or you could pick up to five. They had to be weapons you were already proficient in. So that was the big limitation. Oh. So you had to, if you were a human monk, your monk weapons were gonna be monk weapons for the right. most part, Whereas unless you use double one. class. Yeah, this one you can pick a martial weapon as long yep. as it's not the head. It doesn't have the heavy, uh, right? The heavier yep. two-handed. Yep. Yeah. But what uh, what I ended up doing uh, in my uh, college campaign, I had a dwarf monk. I was like, "Well, Mister, 
battle axe is now um, now a monk weapon yeah. for you. Yeah, and I knew crazy. they were going to take that away. But they took it away with something that still allows him to do that. Yeah. Which is nice. Uh, it, because he's still proficient in it. I mean, he got it as, his, uh, as a racial bonus. Right. And uh, the way that that works now is you, would, you pretty much, uh, you take your short rest, when you're taking your short rest, you can attune to a weapon and make it a monk weapon. As long as you're proficient in it, as long as it's uh, not heavy and not two-handed, I think, were, was all the things. Yeah. So if you realize you're going to get into a ranged fight, you can uh, attune with a uh, bow or something like that, or you can attune with your darts. Yes, and uh, making monk, them suddenly a lot cooler. Monk players out there, great opportunity for role playing too. Like we stop and take a short rest, and like you know, my monk pulls out his you know his battle axe and practices his maneuvers, you know, and like you know does katas or whatever. It's 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 yeah, that's got lots of lots of great opportunities for role playing there. Yeah, I, I really like it. It allows my uh, current player to be slightly less tough than he is, but uh, still tough. So yeah. Yeah. So my mine is also not a swap, right? It's an enhancement. I love the uh, martial versatility, which is given mm -hmm. to the uh, the fighter classes, rangers, and, and paladins. And with the fighter, so all three of those, like you, basically uh, anytime you would receive uh, an ability class increase. You also have the opportunity to swap out your fighting style, replace the fighting style that you have for another one. And this is this is like basically, you know, wizards catching up to DMs, because I think probably a lot of DMs would do something similar to this already. I know that I've done it in my campaigns as well. Yep. Your fighter, you know, starts out with something that they think they're going to love and use all the time, and they get through... Uh, you know, a number of adventures and they realize that they're not using it at all or that it's not... Or they get a really cool magic item. Yeah, or they get a great magic item things. and it's no longer, you know, something that's within their fighting style. Or maybe they, they take a, you know, they take a feat, right, and and uh, want to kind of match up their fighting style with their feet. And yep. there's, there's lots of reasons to do this. And now there's an official mechanic for it, and the fighters get one step further, right? That if you're a um, if you're a battle master fighter, you can also swap out your your battle master maneuvers. Yeah, and there's a lot of that now in the in the classes. Like you can you can swap spells, you can swap uh, you can swap uh, other uh, abilities you get along the way. Hell, you can you can uh, swap your uh, your subclass. Yeah, even and now, that's, which I all of that is like. great. Um, uh, and uh, yeah, and the you know, martial versatility, is, like Al said, is just one example of this. It's it's uh, uh, and I think the battle master in general is just really benefits a lot from this book because not only do they they provide this martial versatility where you can swap out the maneuvers, but you also see all these little great subgroups that they've introduced. Um, for the battle master where you're like, okay, well, this is kind of how you want to model your character's fighting style. And they give you, you know, suggested feats and maneuvers and fighting style and all of that to kind of this package deal, which is once again, great for new players. Um, yeah, because like they, you know, they could say, okay, well, I want to be a fighter. And, uh, you know, the fighter is the most popular class. It's the one that new players end up being the most. And, uh, and instead of the DM saying, okay, well, let's just make you a champion. <laughs> right? 
Here's your passive bonuses. Remember that on 19, you crit. Um, or you can like have uh, this battle master that's that's molded to you know what you you want your fighter to be, and then have kind of it already everything your choice is kind of already made for you in in some respect it's yep yeah it's a it was a smart thing to do it you know it takes yep. up a couple of pages in the book but i think it's worth it um uh okay so my backup on this was the uh once again an enhancement feature is the wild companion mm. uh yep, which yep, yep. uh is just a, a cool idea where you basically as a druid you can burn one of your wild shapes to to cast fine familiar yeah which I mean, come on, a druid with a with an animal familiar, it just makes all kinds of sense. Yeah. It's uh, you know, it's just a one use of your wild shape and like you're gonna get those back, right? Whereas, you know, you can keep the familiar around. And the familiar is is all kinds of helpful. It's uh, you know, can scout for you, you know, you can see through its eyes and use the help action, all this cool stuff. So yep. and and it just really matches the, you know. The class too it just makes sense that a, a druid would have like a little squirrel on his shoulder or you know something like that it just it, it really works and fits and and uh, probably should have been there all the time yeah i i definitely like the opening up of uh wild shape more okay so let's talk about our favorite feats all right well, we already talked about my favorite feat in the uh, in the warm up for the planning session for this. Uh, I'm gonna talk about chef, and the reason that I love the chef feat is because of my my PC and Mark's game right now. I'm playing a dwarven chef, and it's great. Now that said, we've talked about the fact that the chef feat is a little underpowered. It is. It doesn't. Yeah really do a hell of a lot. You get a uh, plus 1d8 uh, on a short rest with healing if you can whip something up for your comrades. Uh, and you can also, on a long rest, create some treats that will increase, that, that will give them temporary hit points. Right, right. Which is, it's nice, but it's going to be a pretty low-level bonus because it's based on your proficiency bonus. Yeah, it's it's not uh, it's not exactly as as uh, um, as enhancing as the <clears throat> the benefits from the uh, leadership feat, which. Right. Uh, but but the thing is, is that it has this whole kind of different flavor to it, and oh yeah. And, uh, and that's why we love it. I mean, it's going to be a popular one. Uh, that, yeah, that's. I think that's why most people would pick it. I mean, it's just it's really fun to think of of having a chef character, and it's and it's and Al has been, yeah, he's been killing it um, in in my campaign with this feat. I mean, he's just been using it for all kinds of great role playing moments, and we we've totally made it a big part of his character and it's it's just really working really well and i wouldn't have him trade it for anything right oh yeah i, I definitely love it you, even you know it may not be as mechanically strong but it, it's brought so much to our game uh so my pick uh is fey touched um mm, yeah there's there's two feats like this in the book. There's the Fey Touched and the Shadow Touched. They kind of have the the same character to them, where you you have this kind of um, this uh, attachment uh, to you know the the, the Fey realms uh, uh, or the Shadowfell, depending on which one you pick. 
Uh, I like Fate Touch better because the uh, the the spell that you the bonus spell that you get is is uh, Misty Step, which is um, super nice. Yeah. Plus, you also get you know one point of ability increase, and you get another first level spell. That's an enchantment of or divination, but you could pick it from any of the spell lists, right? So you could pick something like Hex, or yep. you could pick Hunter's Mark, right? Um, you can you, you have a lot of great choices, um, and I think you can also use if you're a spellcaster already, you can swap out your your regular spell slots to cast these spells, right? You can you can cast them in 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 um, in exchange of your your regular uh, spell selection. So that's great too. Yep, definitely. Yeah, and my backup on that was telekinetic, which is just crazy. Uh, <laughs> it's like that. I think there's one overpowered feat in the book that's probably that one, but it's just it's so cool. It's it just cool. your bonus action to push people with your mind. Whew. And you get free mage hand. Which... Yeah, free mage hand too. All right, so let's move on to our favorite spell. All right, so I went with Summon Undead. Oh, classic! And I went with Summon Undead specifically because you can uh, because you get to pick the kind of undead. The, the nice thing they did with the summon spells is instead of summoning a totally different creature, which is a pain in the butt to trying to keep track of, um, you pick a flavor of creature. Yeah, and this use this pretty much the same basic stats for a skeletal undead a putrid undead, which is why I love it, like summoning a zombie, all right, or a, a but a zombie that's actually, like, cool, uh, or, like, a plague undead a la Nurgle from Warhammer. How? Uh, and then there's another one that I can't remember. Oh, it's a ghostly one, so. Al, we have to pause. I gotta, I gotta be right back, okay? Okay. I'll, I, I will pause the recording. There we go. Okay. So yeah, I like the uh, I, I like summon undead. There. All right. There's my pick. <laughs> well, I think that I think the cool thing there is that, like you said, the versatility. Right. There's uh, undead for every occasion. Yeah. Without being too complicated. Yeah. 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 It's it's, it's not you're not gonna have the player like sitting there, paging through the monster manual, going, oh, do I pick this one? Yeah. Or how many in the cloud of creatures am I going to be summoning here? I've had people summon like eight things in the middle of my fight. Or what's the, I'm trying to remember how many things you can create with animate object. It's like 10, I think. Oh, yeah, the, if you the, get the, the tiny ones. ones. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, oh, man, I got to keep track of all this now. Yeah, the, Charlie, I like Charlie it. loves Charlie loves that trick. He, well, we figured out a way to get around that. <laughs> the, we just created, I created a swarm for them, so that's how we got around it. Those of you at home. It works. So, so my my pick for this is uh, Tasha's Mind Whip. Ah, yes. Uh, which is a, a spell that does psychic damage and then can also uh, uh, basically kind of slow down an opponent where they can only, only take one uh, partial kind of action per turn, and and you can upcast it. Uh, it's a second level spell. You can upcast it so that you can get more than one target. So you could have like, you know, multiple creatures that you're mind whipping. Um, uh, it's it's very very cool. There's a there's a lot of kind of 
a lot of psychic flavor in this book in general, right? There's yes. a lot of cool mind stuff uh, in general, which kind of makes me wonder if they're they're headed towards a, uh, a Dark Sun campaign reboot. I would be very happy with a Dark Sun campaign reboot. I, I love Dark Sun. I, it's, it's really fun. And uh, yeah, it adds a whole bunch of stuff to the game that uh, it would add lethality back to the game, which is... <laughs> Yeah, Dark Sun was has I its think, place. Was it the first first campaign that encouraged you to create the multiple characters? Yep, it was the one that created that had the character pool. Whereas the Ravenloft campaign really should have had that feature <laughs> yeah. for us. But Dark <laughs> Sun was the one where you create uh, multiple characters, and when one of your character goes up, goes up in level one of your other characters goes up in level it was intended if your character got killed your other characters wouldn't just be noobs showing up they'd at least have some power yeah but psionic powers played very heavily into that campaign campaign setting and yep. it seems like a lot of kind of psionic stuff is is working its way uh into the game there's there was also a number of uh subclasses in this game that that are kind of uh, you know, mine. There were. I think there was the the fighter class, the psychic warrior. There's the soul knife for the thief. Yeah, um, yeah. So there's there's some some of that being introduced in, in various aspects of this book. Uh, but yeah, the mind whip is just really it's it's a fun spell. Um, it's it's got a lot of character to it, and and it has this this uh, you know kind of dual aspect of kind of incapacitating and damage dealing. It's a um, a good kind of battlefield control spell, you know, thrown in with a little little bit of psychic damage, you know, which is not commonly resisted. So, yeah, good stuff. Uh, my alternate was my alternate on this one was lightning lure, which is a cantrip, oh, yeah, yeah, uh, which is really really fun. I mean, for a battlefield control wizard, especially, you know, seeing them use this spell, um, you know, kind of. Uh, I mean, it's, it's a cantrip, so you can use it every turn, just kind of pushing people, doing damage and pushing them or pulling them all around the battlefield. Like, hey, you just stepped by my cloud of daggers. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, so, yeah, so that's that. I think that for, um, uh, for a, a cantrip, uh, for kind of like your second pick for, for damaging cantrip, I think that's, you know, after Firebolt or whatever. That's your way to go. Yep. Uh, okay. Uh, now let's talk about uh, our last category, which is favorite magic item. All right. So my favorite magic item for just cramming all the bonuses together is the Arcane Grimoire. So the Arcane Grimoire is yet another spell focus item it allows you, it gives you a plus one to attack with your spells. It gives you a plus one to the difficulty class of your spell saves to resist. And it also gives you an additional slot of uh, a spell, uh, or additional level, I guess, for Arcane Recovery. So not only is it better than all of the other spell focus items that uh, allow you to make your spells better, but then it gives you another bonus on top of that. So this is going to be a popular one with wizards. There's going to be a lot of people with this one. Yeah, so there's, I mean, there's over 40 new magic items in this book, and a lot of them are geared towards uh, enhancements for spellcasters. And 
I would say it's it's about time, right? It's like yeah. there are um, so many magical weapons in the game that you can give to your your fighters and your paladins and your rogues and your rangers. Um, but you know, as far as your wizards and your sorcerers and your warlocks, you know, just there's not a whole lot of kind of items out there that enhance the things that they do regularly, right? right. Um, and and this in fun ways anyway. Yeah, I, love I mean, all of the all of the various magic spell books have a little quirk to them, uh, you know, special uh, spells that they you know add to your spell list and like little quirky abilities. Um, there's also, of course, all the magic tattoos too that have their oh, yeah. kind of interesting abilities. There's some you know some artifacts that they uh, enter uh, into the you know, give stat blocks for really officially enter into the game that needed to be entered. The Crook of Rao. Yeah, the Crook of Rao. I was really, really excited to see that, you know. That's um, going to be showing up in the Greyhawk campaign. It's it's so essential to, to Greyhawk. So that was that was really cool. Um and the the Baba Yaga's mortal and pe mortar and pestle, you know, yep. that was that was nice to see too. So my pick on this one is uh, I probably didn't need to do two because I, I I don't think you would have picked this one in a million years. But the Revelers Concertina. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't and, see that one. I and the reason that. that I picked the Revelers Concertina because it's the closest thing in the game now to a magic accordion. <laughs> I love the idea of having a bard with a magic accordion. Uh, so the Revelers Concertina is a magical uh, concertina, magical musical instrument, um, and uh, it gives you uh, a plus two to the uh, to the save for all of your your bard spells, right? Which is great. Yeah, which is that in itself is awesome. But then you can also use it to cast Obvious irresistible dance. The uh, so the idea of like this bard like sitting there playing the concertina, you know, the little squeeze box, <laughs> and, like you know, suddenly like all the monsters dancing around. It's 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 really really cool. Plus, yeah. it's you know, it's it's almost a magic accordion. Yes, as close as you're ever gonna get. Yep. Yeah. So my my theoretical, I think my uh, my theoretical. Uh, someday bard character giuseppe veer puppeteer he's i can totally envision him having the magic concert we we are totally doing this character <laughs> uh, okay so my backup for this one was the coca brow i was just like yeah of course this needs to be in the game it's kind of crazy that it wasn't in the in the dungeon master's guide originally considering it's one of the mo most important artifacts in the greyhawk campaign yeah. so and there's a in all of the original uh artifacts in D&D &D were all taken from the Greyhawk campaign. So it's kind of weird that it wasn't included in with that. It's about, it's every bit as important as the Iron Hand of Vecna and the apparatus of Qualsh. <laughs> yeah, I would say it has a little more political significance than the apparatus of Qualsh. <laughs> yeah, the apparatus of Qualsh is fun, mind you. <laughs> Clank it around in a lobster-shaped submarine, but... Yeah, but think about, like, a world-altering artifact, right? Yeah, that's, yeah. that's the kind of level that it's at. It's like the, you know, the One Ring or or the, um, 
the dragon orbs from the dragon yeah, lands campaign. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's just it's yeah. It's Introduce uh, one of the items that introduces one of the great magical changes to Greyhawk. So yeah, the old flight of fiends, which I think I've retconned out now that I think about it, because <laughs> <laughs> you guys have run into a decent number of fiends. So I mean, uh, Ayu still has a decent number of them in the main game, but. Well, so uh, that is uh, our, our little special feature of our favorites from the game. And that is pretty much all we have on the docket to talk about here. So uh, we hope that you are all enjoying this book and finding ways uh, to use it to enhance your campaigns. Um, and I'm sure we will be talking about it in future episodes. Definitely. And even with our, our friends uh, who probably you know, we'll never buy it. Um, because they're cheap. <laughs> <laughs> but Alan and I will be, you know, the gracious, uh, you know, helpful players that we are and, and show them ways so they can use it to enhance their characters, which I'm sure at least Chad would be interested in. Yes. Um, and uh, and so, yes, so we'll move, uh, we'll move forward in our next episode. Uh, this is not really a sequential episode, so... Um, but we'll be uh, very, very shortly uh, working on our next episode in which we're going to do some live play up. So, so it's going to be exciting. Yeah, yeah. And uh, perhaps we'll be utilizing some of the uh, some of the stuff that's in this campaign. Perhaps we will most definitely be using some of this stuff in this yeah. because of a certain artificer who's going to be playing. <laughs> so all of that's very exciting, and uh, we look forward to sharing with it, sharing it with you next time on Dungeons and Decisions. Yep. Bye.